Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey everyone, welcome to the CISO Talk podcast. I hope you're doing great, good, awesome, amazing. You're staying healthy, you're staying safe. You're finding your 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 spot in the uncertainty of today. I've got a very, very, very special guest on today's show. He's an author, he's a CISO, he's a professor. If this guy had any more jobs and he has a family, so I don't know how he does it all, Joining me is the one, the only, George Finney, the CSO for SMU Southern Methodist University. I said it right, first take. I love it. Dude, good job. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me, James. It's, it's great to, to be here. I've been listening to your podcast for a while and, uh, you know, awesome to, to be a part of it. Well, I'm excited to have you on because um, I got to read your book and we're going to talk about your book a ton because you talk about, cool. um, for those who don't know George, George will briefly describe himself, but he is the author of a great, great book that I think everyone should pick up. Um, Master the Nine Cybersecurity Habits to Protect Your Future. Um, uh, great Nine Steps. It's a it's a, it's an airplane read. If you fly, if we were flying nowadays, this book would be a great airplane book because by the time you board your flight until the time you land and get off the plane, if you're not one of those people that stands up right when the plane lands because you think somehow you're going to be the first to get off the plane when you're in row 27 and you actually read this book until you get off the flight, you'll finish the book by the time you take off and land. Uh, yeah, uh, Well Aware uh, is coming out on October 20th. Uh, so uh, mark your calendars and uh, uh, buy, buy a copy before it comes out. That's, that's really helpful to, to us authors. If they pre-order it. If they right? pre-order it, yeah, yeah. Um, you'll send me the link where they can pre-order the book. Uh, I'm going to take it to do action item to and send you that. So for those that are listening, um, you want to pre-order the book, support people within our local InfoSec community who are publishing authors. Um, 
the link is going to be below in the description of the audio podcast if you're watching us on youtube the link is in the description below just go there you'll also find the link on our website at cyberhubpodcast.com make sure you subscribe and rate us because if you don't subscribe and you don't rate us we don't go up in the ranking folks and we do need your help there so it's really easy subscribe and that's that so george Beyond the fact that you're a Cowboys fan, which we'll have to talk about later today, um, if we get a chance to talk about football, we, we'll, we'll get there. It'll bring, bring some some level of, of, of normalcy to, to life after five months of just uncertainty. Tell us a little bit about how you got into cyber. So, you know, like a lot of folks in cyber, I didn't start out uh, with, a, with a plan to go into cybersecurity. Um, I started out my career... Uh, really in, in, in the telecom space. So I, I worked for GTE back before they were Verizon. Uh, I worked for SBC before they bought AT&T. Um, and, you know, networking, I, I loved it. Uh, I, you know, I got all the, the, the Cisco certs and, you know, I, I got this opportunity to, to go broaden my horizons and, and be kind of a, a network architect or sysadmin at a, at a startup. And so, I, you know, I started learning uh, Linux and, you know, custom compiling my own code. But I also had to be the guy to harden systems and to run the firewalls and to, uh, to, to do all of the other security work. Um, so, you know, I, I thought that was cool. And then um, I got this opportunity to go to law school. Uh, I, I, that's, that's why I, I came to SMU. They, they launched their evening law program. And I thought, OK, I can kind of keep doing this. Um, and, and, you know, maybe I'll go be a patent attorney or something and work with, uh, cyber, you know, uh, uh, technology inventors. Um, and as it turns out, uh, you know, I, I got this offer to stay at SMU uh, and can kind of combine my passion for cybersecurity uh, with this, this experience of, uh, you know, uh, being an attorney. So looking at policy or contracts or, uh, you know, compliance, those, those kinds of things, you know, th- there's just such a, uh, a, a neat uh, connection between all of those uh, you know, I've, I've kind of over time become more of a generalist, but, you know, r- really, you know, the passion is, is just about uh, understanding things and, and, you know, being able to, uh, to kind of explain them to, to the folks I work with. The, the, the interest of uh, the background of how people get into cyber is always fascinating, right? Because people get into cyber from all kinds of places. I've spoken to people who've done it from the military, people who've come from, um, you know, that aspect, people who come from the you know, uh, education background, people who go and get a cert, people who get thrown into cyber. I can't tell you how many CISOs I've met that are like, how'd you end up getting into cyber? I was working for a company that wanted someone to handle security. I volunteered and, you know, here I am 15 years later. Well, and, and to me, that's the best story. I mean, I, I know we, we need to have cybersecurity as, uh, as, as something we teach in universities or even at, at a high school level. Uh, but I, I wouldn't ever want that to be a, a a detriment to, to, to someone getting into cyber to have to have a, a degree or a cert. Uh, I, I think, you know, really the, the, the best cybersecurity folks are just the ones that are curious. Uh, they're, they're hungry to understand. They're, they're willing to stand up a, a lab in, in, their, in their house, you know, with a server or a firewall or what have you and, you know, run Kali or Metasploit. Uh, that's the kind of folks that, that, that we need uh, because they're not waiting to be, you know, spoon fed. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, cyber evolves so quickly, um, you know, you're going to have to have this commitment to, to lifelong learning that you wouldn't have to have in another career, right? If you're, a, if you're an accountant, 
you know, the accounting standards have, have been the same for the last, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, 50 years, 100 years, um, you know, but technology, we're, we're, we're always on the bleeding edge of technology and security. So, uh, you know, if, if you're if you're excited about uh, that and, and can embrace it, that's, I, I, I think, the, the coolest reason to get into cybersecurity. You know, we're always doing something new. It's never the same. Um, and for some, that might be a, uh, you know, uh, something that scares them away. <laughs> but the rest of us are, are weird enough to, to not be bothered by that. Well, some people are, um, they, they want the set life and others like us are crazy. Yeah. You know, I haven't really had proper sleep in, I don't know, four years. Um, like you, It's true, yeah. There's a difference. It just exists. When we talk, you know, as we talk a little bit about, you know, your background and so forth, when you're building a team as you're hiring people, what are some of the skills you look for in people who are, who you want to bring onto your team? What are some of kind of the stuff that really matters to you? So I, I think I think the biggest question I ask when I'm hiring folks is why do you want to work at SMU, right? And it, it's it's that why that matters I think the most because. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you, I mean, if if somebody's got an impressive enough resume to to you know be you know talking with me, um, they could go anywhere. Uh, they can get a job with uh, with a bank, with a you know uh, with a cybersecurity firm, with a healthcare, you know. And, and what's what's going to stop them in a year or two from from moving on? It's it's really that why. Why do you want to be here? Uh, are you going to send your your kids to school at SMU? Do you want to go back and get your degree here? Um, you know, it, I mean, it is, is, you know, being in an, an academic environment, working with faculty members, something that interests you, you know, it, it's, it's really about the why and understanding what drives the person. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I, you know, I, I think communication and, and relationships are, are some of the best skills to have in cybersecurity. Um, you know, so I, I ask them, you know, kind of non-technical questions and, and you know, the technical questions uh, you know, I'll, I mean, I ask some really difficult, you know, uh, you know, interview questions, and you know, most people can't answer some of the trick questions I'll throw in. But, but again, e- even with that, what, what I'm looking for is uh, someone's ability to, to to say I don't know, um, and you know, and and that's okay because you know, an interview is a weird place. Um, you know, I mean, if it wasn't an, an interview, you would be able to go out and Google it. Uh, but just the fact that. Uh, you know, you know. I, I think personality matters so much and fit. Um, I have to under, understand how a person's gonna gonna interact on a team, what the what the role is. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I, I really want to see the whole person. Is there is is there a type of skill that you think is kind of uh, um, really important in order for CISOs CSOs uh, to have in terms of leading their team? That's kind of that X factor. What's that X factor skill or quality that a CISO needs to be a successful leader? So, so for me, and I, and I talk about this in the book, I, I think, um, you know, bl- finding your blind spots um, and, and looking for them is, is, is such a hard skill uh, to know because our, our brains are wired to, to, to just assume that we have all of the knowledge that we need to have in order to make a decision. Um, and, you know, there, there's an evolutionary reason why that's that that's important to have. Uh, however, um, you know, the, the, it's so easy to to, to not know uh, to look in a certain place, and so some of that comes with experience. Uh, you know, knowing where the blind spots are, or the, where the bones are buried, or what have you. 
but but really just having that sixth sense you know maybe that's about embracing diversity and getting built being able to build a team um, that that can complement one another and find those blind spots maybe that's about being able to be patient and ask questions uh, to to really drill in and to get a uh, you know a sense of you know when you're talking to someone about building requirements for a project uh, you know you, you can feel out to, to to know where the blind spots are going to be uh, t- so uh, you know I, I think blind, you know finding your blind spots and uh, is is a is, is kind of a key characteristic. We look at a CSO CISO role and it's always. It's very different from industry to industry, right? In manufacturing, you know, the predominant title now is a CSO, not a CISO, because they've put, you know, security under the manufacturing lamp. Hmm. In um, financial services, it's still a CISO, and those people still struggle to get... um, In in the mature financial services organizations, they get their board time but they still struggle within the executive leadership of getting the right amount of attention and resources for their programs predominantly. Mm-hmm. I think Capital One this week kind of made every board go, all right, it's $80 million. It's not so bad. Um, and, and, and other industries. So what's, how does uh, a CSO really work within the academia? Um, how do, who do you report to? What kind of interaction do you have with, you know, faculty, with administration? How's your role maybe different than that of your peers? So, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it definitely varies from, from university to university. Um, at, you know, we're all kind of, I, I think, on a, a different, uh, you know, maturity path, uh, depending on, you know, how big a school you are, what, what kind of funding you have. Um, so a community college is going to have a very different security role than, uh, than an Ivy League, for example, and, and SMU is kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, but, you know, I, I would say, you know, today I report into the CIO, um, uh, you know, and CIOs at different universities, a lot of us report into CIOs. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're typically reporting to a, uh, a vice, or the CIO is typically reporting into a vice president of you know, business and finance, uh, or maybe, you know, some I've seen report into uh, to the library system. Uh, some I've seen report into, you know, internal audit or maybe uh, the, the academic area. So, um, you know, and it, it really varies based on, you know, the, the relationships I think you build inside your organization. And for me, um, we've built a very strong partnership relationship with, uh, with our police department, with risk management, with uh, business and finance, with legal. I, I get to have different conversations with, with our legal team because I'm an attorney and they're, they're kind of willing to, to uh, to, you know, have kind of, uh, you know, more candid, I think, conversations about, uh, you know, things that are going on in, in, in the environment. So, you know, I, I would say, you know, th- I mean, in a way, um, if there's a difference, you know, in, in a university setting, it's, a, it's much more uh, simple or straightforward for me to have conversations uh, direct with folks, um, what, you know, whoever they are on the team, even if I don't report them, I'm not necessarily stepping on people's toes uh, by going to have a conversation, uh, I think that would probably be different at a you know a huge state school or you know a top ten university. Um, but you know for us, you know everybody's really approachable. They they, they want to do the right thing. They want to protect our community. Um, and and you know I, I kind of see myself as more of a, a coach. Um, so you know I've got a small team. My team does both cybersecurity as well as you know running technology for physical security like cameras or card readers. Um, so, you know, that's that's kind of why we picked, 
my title is actually chief security officer, not chief information security officer, because there's kind of a broader implication uh, of, of, of what, the t- what the job title was, was going to involve. Um, and I also, you know, on reflecting, I didn't think of this beforehand when we were negotiating the title, uh, but uh, I also now share the same title with Lieutenant Commander Worf uh, on, on Star Trek. So I've, I've kind of, you know, uh, advanced that far in my career. Um, so, you know, I, I, I like hanging my, my, my hat on, uh, on Mr. Worf. That's, um, that's, that's really awesome. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that, that, that's a great way to look at it. Um, I think you're the first CSO to say that on the show. <laughs> so you, you, you're the first real uh, geek to pull that out of, the, out of their pocket. So, well, I've got Mr. Worf right over here. So, uh, you, know, uh, you know. Well, I love your background, by the way. I mean, just the background's awesome. I mean, they're... Uh, I mean, I've got my background. I'm an aviation guy, right? So I have a ton of planes yeah, and books, yeah. and that, that's about it. And then, and then I've got some dancing rabbis. Um, but, but that's kind of like my, 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 my jig. That's a little bit about you know my personality, right? Uh, everyone's got something about them that's always kind of in the background. And if they've got a plain white background, they've got no personality. That's scary. I, I don't trust people who don't have a personality because they have a personality. They're just hiding it from you. Right, and you're curious. You're like, why don't you want to show me about your personality? What is right. your personality yes. that you're hiding? It's okay. You can put a Cowboys poster behind you. No one's <laughs> going to make fun of you. George, you wrote a book that, that comes out real soon, well aware, Mastered the Nine Cybersecurity Habits to Protect Your Future. What drove you to really go about and write this book? So, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the long story. Uh, so I, I, I've always had this passion for writing. Um, so, you know, stupidly, I went to law school. Uh, and by the way, I operate a, you know, 1-800 number for talking people out of going to law school. So if, if you need that help as a service, I, I offer that to the community. Is it free? Uh, it's a free service. <laughs> Call me day or night. No. Um, so, so parents, if your kids want to be lawyers, reach out to George. <laughs> Get his 800 number. Tell your kids, don't go to law school. Uh, yeah, don't. So, you know, for, for me, um, you know, uh, I, I was working full time during the day, I, you know, as an, as an engineer, I'm on call 24 by 7. And now I'm going to, uh, to, to law school for, for 10, 11 credit hours a semester because they make you do it uh, all at once. And they, they don't give you extra time just because you're an evening student. Um, so that was a challenge, right? And, and, and I kind of realized, like, uh, I'm, I'm burnt out. I don't want to do this much work anymore. Um, and I, I want it to be fun and, and, and do something that, that I can get behind. And then, so I started, I, I, I reignited my passion for writing. So I wrote a couple, like, fiction novels. Um, I, I published one. I self-published on Amazon. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thought it was fun, but after a few years... I really wanted to start, you know, kind of merging my two passions and, and, and cybersecurity and, and, and writing. And so I, I wrote this book. Uh, my first cybersecurity book was No More Magic Wands. Um, it, if, if you, know, you most people probably haven't read it, but uh, it's kind of like uh, Who Moved My Cheese for cybersecurity. So it's kind of a, uh-huh. a case study in a, 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 a tree full of magic elves that make magic wands. Um, and they get hacked and they have to... Uh, uh, you know, unhack themselves, but they can't use magic to fix all of their problems. Um, so, what do you do? You actually start, you know, building a team and working together. And uh, you know, it, it, I'm picturing like the Keebler elves, like that. That's that's literally what I was kind of picturing. But um, you know, they, they have kind of adventures 
uh, solving their cybersecurity issues. And, you know, I, I wanted to write something non-technical that uh, would really, you know, uh, build a bridge between CISOs and other executives. Because when you're an executive, right, you, you read this, you know, these books for professional development, whether it's like, you know, Jim Collins' Good to Great or Stephen Covey's Seven Habits. Um, and so, you know, I, I've, I've been thinking along these lines for, for a few years. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to kind of delve deeper. And I, 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 I'm, I'm, I, as a CISO, I've been personally very frustrated with, uh, uh, you know, what's available out there for security awareness uh, and, and to help change people's behaviors. And when you, th- when you think about people's behaviors, um, you know, really it, that boils down to habits. Um, and, you know, so I, I've, I've identified what I think are nine, you know, clusters or constellations of, of smaller habits uh, that I think, you know, if, if, you, if you can train people on that framework, right, you know, and we love frameworks in cybersecurity, uh, but NIST really doesn't apply to me as an individual, right? It, it helps me organize as an organization, um, but how do, how do I change as, as an individual? I, I think, you know, first you have to understand that there are habits, and then, you know, you have to, you know, if you've read Tiny Habits or The Power of Habit, uh, uh, you know, uh, B.J. Fogg or Charles Duhigg, um, you know, they, they focus on the actual process of implementing those into your life, and you know, everybody's different. We all have different ways of, of, of incorporating those habits or, or doing different things to, to stay secure. And, you know, there are lots of ways to, to, to do that. So I don't mandate any one way. But I think the, the, the goal was to tell the stories of successful leaders uh, who have uh, implemented those kinds of habits um, so that we can emulate them. Um, and, you know, we, we so focus on the negative in cybersecurity. We want to avoid the breach. We want to find out what not to do. Um, and as it turns out, you know, you know, we, we focus, you know, on, on fear and, uh, you know, the, the challenge with, with using fear as a motivator is that it's, it's really good to, to motivate people not to do something, but it's hard to, to, to get them pro- proactively to do things. And I think the way to, to get, you know, folks to proactively change is, is to, to emulate those successes and to, and to focus on habits as, as, as a, a step-by-step process. So that's, 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 that's my, uh, that's my pitch for the book. Well, uh, you know, I, I got a chance to, to, to look over the book, and it's, it's a great book, and we're going to talk about, you know, the, the nine habits that people need. You and I, when we started our conversation, before we started recording, we spoke of, you know, habit number two, which um, 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 for those that listen to the show quite often realize, like, that is totally me, right? But you kind of look at security and and. In general, you look at you know you talk about the nine habits. Of the nine habits, what habit do you spend the most time on? And we're going to go over the nine habits here in just a moment. In, so in, in detail, there, the one that I, I didn't know there was going to be a quiz at the end. Uh, you know, gosh, I, I think there, there are two habits for me that are really hard to separate out, and I, I think they're, they're both extremely important. And the, the 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 first one is culture, and the second one is community. Uh, so technically speaking, culture is habit five, if you're following along at home, and community is habit seven. Uh, I, I think, are you still with me, James? Yeah, I'm with you. I got you. Okay. We, we had a little, um, we had a little uh, connection issue here. We blame it on dolphins all the time. Okay. Okay. The well, So uh, I'll, I'll kind of start that over. Um so I, I think the, the 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 one of the most important habits, you know, or two of them are community and and, and culture, um, and they go hand in hand, really. 
but you know, I, I would say cybersecurity is a team sport. Um, so you can't, you know, play your cards close to the vest. You can't do it all yourself. Um, so for me, I've got a small team at SMU, um, but I like to say that we've got 2,500 cybersecurity employees because I believe uh, strongly that security is everybody's job. And so if you believe that cybersecurity is everybody's job, you, you, you want to get, you know, find a way to be more like a coach to coordinate people's activities together, right? You, you, you don't see NFL coaches, you know, after the game um, saying, oh, well, we, we, lo- we lost the game because of that, that stupid person. Um, if only we could get rid of him. And maybe they do. Maybe they think that way. But, um, you know, they'll, they'll come out and say things like, you know, we tried really hard. The other team was good that day. Um, on the flip side, you don't hear an NFL coach, you know, coming, sitting down and saying, uh, well, the reason we won today is because of the new gloves that our players were wearing or the new cleats or the football or whatever. Um, that's what we're doing in cybersecurity, by the way. We're, we're, we, we focus entirely on the technology. The reason we stopped the hackers today was because of, you know, X product. Um, it, it, and, you know, we, we completely discount the, the players. Um, you know, we say people are the weakest link um, and they're always going to get us in trouble and we want to get rid of all of our, you know, customers or employees or whatever um, and, and finally, our, our cybersecurity challenges just go away. That that is opposite from a coach mindset, and I think embracing that can can influence both community as well as uh, as culture in our organizations. Yeah, culture and community have a lot to do with security. So, for those listening or watching, here are the nine habits in the book, and we're going to talk about them a little bit. It's literacy, skepticism, vigilance, secrecy. Number five, which you've already shared, culture. Number six, which is diligence. Seven, you've already spoke about briefly right now, community. Eight is mirroring, and nine is deception. And number nine is of most interest, obviously. We're, we're not, but we're going to leave number nine to the end of the podcast because I want people to listen all the way through. we got to increase our listening average on the show. And so listen all the <laughs> way through, folks. Um <laughs> Because we'll talk about deception. And um, and I know Tony Cole would just be dying to jump on the deception conversation um, because that's just his wheelhouse. I actually know Tony. I actually interviewed I, I interviewed him for the book. His, his interview did not make it in. But uh, look, uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's a he's definitely an interesting cat. So who made it in the book? So I actually talk about uh, a, a couple of different folks, you know, and I, I know we, we want to save the deception, you know, preview for the end. But uh, 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 Umesh uh, is, is in the book. Uh, he, uh, uh, he, he kind of talks specifically about his deception uh, stuff today that he's doing kind of using modern deception. Um, and then uh, Lance Spitzner, who, uh, he was the founder of the, uh, the Honey Nut Project. Uh, back in you know 2000 or so, um, some of the work they did on, on the Know Your Enemy series, um, you know, just standing up random honeypots across the the world, uh, really cool insights. And uh, gosh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there because I, you know, that's the sneak preview to deception. But uh, yeah, that is the sneak preview to deception. If we start from the very beginning, literacy. Yes, you need to learn how to read in cyber. But that's not what you mean by literacy. Literacy has a, has a completely different definition in the book, which is you you, you got to understand that your environment is constantly changing and you've always got to learn, right? And you said that early on, like people who get into security, they can't be lazy. This isn't an accountant job. This is stuff's constantly changing. Um, 
talk a little bit more about literacy in terms of how does it how does it really come into terms for a cybersecurity practitioner and professional? So you know, so I think about literacy both in terms of cybersecurity practitioners as well as you know non technical folks, right? Because we we all have to be cybersecurity literate to some extent. Uh, but literacy, the the technical definition of literacy isn't that you know everything already and that you've read all the books in the world. Uh, it just means that you have the the foundation, the, the 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 foundational literacy in order to go out and you know think about you know reading a book or re- uh, an article or, or a conversation. Um, and you know, so cybersecurity literacy, I, I, I think it's that foundation of you know understanding of knowledge. Um, at knowing what the, the, the good sources are out there, knowing how to get information, um, even if it's just uh, a matter of, you know, having a mentor or a coach uh, to, you know, to, to help you along. Um, so, you know, you can be a cybersecurity practitioner and not be a, an expert pen tester, for example. Uh, but I think, you know, you could sit down in a room with a pen tester and understand what they're talking about. Uh, I, I think that's what cybersecurity literacy is in, in, a, in a nutshell. And there's a whole chapter on literacy in the book, and, it, and it's actually a very eye-opening chapter because it, it, it really does talk a little bit about being fearless in your learning and really kind of uh, throwing yourself into the, just the whole idea of just learn, learn, don't be afraid to learn. You know, and, and again, you're a professor, an author, and you work at a university, so it, it's it's very... It's very eye-opening to see you put the focus on literacy and education as being the number one habit, your, your top one habit. And I don't know if these habits are listed in kind of priority, like one's really important and nine is just for fun. Or, um, but but th- this does say something about kind of people's idea um, of doing so. Well, and you, you have to start with literacy. And I, I think one of the reasons that for, the, for this concept of fearless learning is, you know, it, it, when we are afraid, our, our, our cognitive faculties actually start to shut down and we don't learn as well, right? So if we're teaching others, if we're learning you know, from others, if we're in a state of fear, uh, if there's fear of reprisals, if there's fear of, I don't know, even losing your job, uh, that, that uncertainty you know, reduces your ability to, 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 to understand and to, to, to cognate, right? So um, you know, I, I think you know, getting rid of fear in cybersecurity should should be one of our number one missions in, in, in life right now. And again, th- this chapter is fascinating for me because it covers a bunch of different things from fearless learning to really securing your brain, which is a very interesting concept, um, <laughs> to, to self-awareness. And I think self-awareness is one of those things that a lot of times in security, we almost lose track of it. And, you know, it's last week I actually did an in-person event. Right, right on. Cool. Right. There were 20 people there. And it was it was half in person, half virtual. But the people that were there were great people, great conversation. At the end of the event, uh, there was a cocktail party and a, and a sales representative from, a, from an MSP uh, approached me and he went, you know, James, I'd love to pick your brain. And I said, sure. There, there's a reason I tell the story. It plays right into self-awareness. And he goes, when you're building a program, you know, what framework do you use? He goes, I really like the NIST CSF. And he goes, when I meet with customers, I'm always talking about the NIST CSF. And I go, okay, that's great. The NIST CSF is a very good framework, but does it fit everyone? 
I go, if you're meeting with a business that has 100 people and they don't have a CISM, mm. you're an MSP. They're bringing you in so that you can run their IT because they probably don't even have an internal IT guy. You think they're going to sit there and hear the Nest CSF and look at the documentation and go, wow, let's do this. Yeah, yeah. Are you complexing security to a point where people get turned off by security, which is part of the problem? Or should you maybe revert to the CIS top 20? You mentioned in, in your self-awareness part of the, of the book, yeah. you talk a lot about the CIS. And to me, the CIS produces the CIS controls. And if you look at the top 20 controls and you just do the top eight or nine of them, you've pretty much established really good blocking and tackling for your security program. So in an organization like that, why do you even go to the NSCSF? Why not qualify your customer on the CIS controls? You know, and, and I think, I mean, we, we, I don't know. It, it seems like we spend so much time mapping controls and frameworks to one another. You know, we've got whole job categories of folks that, that that's, that's all they do. Uh, you know, I, I think you're right, especially for small teams, you've got to focus uh, and, you know, you either pick one one framework and go with it. Uh, you know, you fit what, what what meets your needs, prioritize it. The, the, the reason one of the reasons I love this, the, the CIS top 20 is it's not actually the top 20. Um, you know, they're, they're, they've got like a top 20 categories. But when you when you get down into the details, they actually will tell you, you know, well, here here are the top five or ten things for category one. And they actually have, you know, real kind of hard examples on how to, how to have metrics around those. So you can actually have, uh, you know, kind of a, a higher level insight into your inventory controls or your, you know, wh- whatever control you want to focus on. I've taken the CIS top 20. I've put it on an Excel. Easy. I've mapped every single category under each one of those controls. And so when you're going into an organization, when I'm speaking to, you know, friends of mine that run a small business, advertising companies, Hmm. you know, whatever it is, and they go, James, how do I secure myself? I print out my Excel sheet. I've translated it from a bit more complex to, and I ask him, are you on Office 365 or Gmail? Right. Because I've got my Excel separated. If you're on Office 365, the implementation of those things is very different than if you're on G Suite for business. Totally. You, you know, I mean, even if, I mean, take it at a more, you know, even simpler level, right? How many organizations have an actual risk register? Um, I mean, I was at a roundtable with other CISOs last year, and, you know, out of, I think, 20 people in the room, you know, maybe three or four. Um, and these are organizations with CISOs. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I, I would say, you know, that, that self-knowledge, uh, you know, is, is incredibly key. How do, you, how do you know what to protect if, if you don't know where your information is? How do you, how do you, you know, con- control it? So um, that, that, that's a great point because that's the point of, you know, yesterday was Patch Tuesday. Right. I do, uh, I have another podcast, the CyberHub podcast, and I do a practitioner brief. Every morning it's a five-minute podcast and it talks about your basic blocking and tackling and security. Not clickbait headlines. Like, I didn't cover the $80 million fine by Capital One because really there's no news there. They got fined $80 million, right? Yeah. Um, but, but when you look at a patching, one of the things I always tell people when it comes to a patch, I go, you know, the manufacturer will rank it a 9.8. It's critical. You got to do it now. Now, is that component critical? Does that component, does that software right, right. really integrate with your data? 
is it processing the kind of data or kind of business processes where if you don't patch it, you stand the risk of, of if you're attacked, that your business goes offline? Or is it so thrown to the side? Is it so seldom used that you can put this on a priority to do it in a week or two? And right now you got to focus on what the manufacturer calls a 4.0 severity, but for you it's mm. a 10.0 for severity because a lot of your business functions are critical to that specific unit. That, that that's exactly right. And you, I mean, you mentioned MSPs earlier, but uh, you know, with even with pen testers, right? You know, when they provide those results back to you, um, you know, are, are you are you able to or are you going through the process of you know actually mapping those controls out to see? Okay, well, yeah, this this was a 9.0, but you know, we think because we have these other compensating controls and there's no actual data on that server that it's actually a two, and we want to focus on these, you know, five other high priority issues first. Um, you know, how do, how do you have that nuanced conversation, you know, when, you know, you, you've, you've got these kind of red flags, like, ah, I got to focus on the, 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 the nines and tens first. Um, if, if, if it's black and white like that, if you don't have that self-knowledge, like you, you, you mentioned, um, it, it's going to be a struggle. Um, and it's really going to be a struggle for outside entities that don't have that same insight into your organization, that don't have that same self-knowledge. Yeah, that's that's such a great point is, you know, if you're not mapping, if you're not really understanding where your stuff is, if you don't have visibility and you're just patching based on what the manufacturer ranks us, it's critical. If your patch Tuesday is, oh, you know, I get zero days, right? We all understand the need for a zero day to get patched immediately, but everything mm-hmm. else, uh, is it really critical to your organization or are you just patching for the sake of patching? Right. And then you're wasting critical time in, in patching stuff that you may not need and then getting to something that's really critical for your organization. Your second point is skepticism. That's me. That's right there. I'm a very skeptic person, right? Like, I'm half Israeli, half American, so by nature I'm skeptical of everything. I, I, I don't see this, the, the tin, your tinfoil hat on your desk behind you. Is that... Is that I, uh... I, I, I don't have tinfoil hats. <laughs> I'm not that skeptic, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not, I, I, you know, there, there's probably aliens, but, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I, you know, I, I've watched all the videos of the spacecrafts, you know, with the Air Force, you know, encountering <laughs> these, these, these stuff. And yeah, yes, I've, yeah, I've, I've yeah, got some yeah. questions. Uh, but I'm skeptic also, right? Like, could China be that far advanced? Could that be our own Air Force? Could it be Space Force? Could Space Force have been like something that started during George W. Bush and no one knew about it until Trump came out and was like, Space Force, yes, my legacy. Turn it on. Let everyone know. We've got Space Force. You know, it it, it turns out that it's actually a really boring uh, TV show, so I don't recommend the Netflix Steve Carell. I, I, I was looking forward to Space Force so much. Um, I watched yeah. half of an episode. I saw it to be way, way too political. And I was like, you're ruining it. You're ruining it. Yeah, there there weren't enough like jokes. I mean, yeah. it, it could it, there's it's rife with humor, and they they just lost they it. They missed it. Yeah, they, yeah. Missed, they they missed the ball on that one. So talk a little bit about skepticism in in your book in terms of you know you talk a lot about the zero trust model. Um, I, I, I'm a skeptic of zero trust because I don't believe you can do business in zero trust, right? And so, it's, and. So again, in, in the book, I, I, I kind of try and tell stories, right? I want to tell the stories of successful leaders or other luminaries that, that you know, you can use their stories to help emulate. And so I actually talked, 
I got to interview John Kindervag, who was the the guy behind the the, the industry buzzword uh, Zero Trust um, right, from Palo Alto. Uh, yeah, so he's at Palo Alto now. He 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 created the, the he coined the term while he was at Forrester, um, and the, the, you know fascinating s- story. Uh, but you know he he you know he acknowledges that. You know, th- there's this concept of you know we, we anthropomorphize the, the the network, right? So you think of George's computer, you think of George's packets, um, and that's that, that that's a problem, right? And and that's that's kind of what zero trust solves. But you know, he's quick to say also that you trust people, not packets, right? So you know, while you know we, we're we're talking about computers, that could be anybody using that computer. Uh, but it's you, you still rely on, on people and humans. And so that's, you know, I, I shift from the story of, uh, of John Kindervag to the story of Stephen Covey, uh, who wrote this book, The Speed of Trust. Um, and most, you know, uh, most leaders that you talk to will have, will have encountered the speed of trust at some point. Uh, but, you know, they talk about how there is a, a tax. Uh, the, 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 there's a trust tax. Um, and if you don't have trust, you know, business slows down, you're less profitable, uh, and and you, you have challenges. You can't get deals done. Well, uh, and it's bad for your culture. I hate to cut you off, but then yeah, it goes directly against number five and number seven. And and, and so you know, I, I I talk a lot in the book about you know simulated phishing uh, that that we do, right. and and there's there's I mean the reason is we we have a lot of data, but that was one of the the biggest hurdles I think that 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 I had. And in that program, and that I talked to other CISOs about. Well, I can't do that because um, you know our organization is, is won't accept it, right? It, it, there, there are too many issues. We'll piss people off. Uh, you know, we, we don't want to influence the culture negatively by having people stop responding to to, to email. Um, and you know, there there some organizations send you know daily or weekly simulated phishing messages, and I think you can go overboard, uh, and maybe that's a little too much. Um, but you know, I mean, really, I, th- I think skepticism comes down to uh, uh, you know you have to walk a fine line in cybersecurity with telling truth to power, um, and you know you're, you're you're it's easy for us to to be the boy who cried wolf, um, and it's it, it and you, if you're seen as the boy who cried wolf all the time, you you lose any ability to influence the organization, right? They're going to stop listening to you. So how do you approach skepticism in a way that, uh, that, that builds trust and builds relationships and connections? Um, and, and, you know, I, I think the way that Stephen Covey in, in his book talks about it, trust isn't a spectrum, right? It, it, it's not, you know, tr- untrust on one side and trust on the other. Um, what, what his proposal is, is that skepticism is actually a matrix. And so you can have you know, low or high trust, you can also have low or high skepticism at the same time. And you need both at the same time in order to have good judgment. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Uh, to me, skepticism, you, you talk a little bit about, you know, trusting your gut. And there's so much to that statement, right? Um, because we live in, in, in the cyber world, we live in the world of what I like to call false positive alerts. And if you just trust false positives or if you just trust an alert and you don't listen to your gut, you're not watching a pattern. You're not you're just clicking right to dismiss the alerts or you're saying done, 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 done. Just, you know, getting it down your checklist. If you're not trusting your gut, you're inherently failing 
in your job as a security person. Like your gut, like I don't know how to say it. Every time something's happened, it's been in my gut. I've smelt it. I knew it was coming. Winner was right there. I'll quote. Um, I'll, I'll quote the head of the uh, Israeli INCD. Um, he was. Uh, I was on a conference call with him. He, it was a panel, and he said, "Winner is coming." And he said that about two months ago, hmm. when the first um, attack on the Israeli water system took place. When the Iranians tried to put more chlorine in the water, get people sick, they attacked the civilian infrastructure for the very first time. Typically, they were known to go after, you know, state infrastructure, state data. It's the first time they attacked civilian infrastructure. And it kind of changed the game, right? Um, it, it really did change the game. In fact, I'm doing a podcast with uh, several friends from the CIA and from Israel just on the, um, the way Iran and Israel are now in a fully-fledged open cyber warfare and how it's affecting different organizations that operate within both nations mm. and in between and within the supply chain. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I say I'm skeptic, I'm skeptic. I'm skeptic because of the stuff that you see and that stuff, you know, by trusting your gut. And, and he said it. He goes, we looked. He goes, my gut said it all. He goes, winter's coming and it's coming sooner than we expected. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and but you, again, can't be the guy that's, that's, that's been saying winter is coming for the last, you know, 10 years. Well, we all know uh, the chicken little story. Well, the sky's right, falling, right. the sky's falling. Eventually the sky fell. <laughs> you, you know, uh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, again, I, I think, I think it's a, it's a big challenge uh, to, to do right. Uh, but if done right, um, I think you, you can dispel the myths that, that we have in, in security. And, and I think we, you know, again, we, we tell ourselves that we think we know uh, you know the answers when you know maybe we haven't done the due diligence to to know really what the uh, what, what the science says behind it or what the big data would say when we applied it to to a different situation. Well, um, li- li- listen to your gut goes right into vigilance, right? It, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, they play right into each other. And, and you know, so I, I struggled with with whether or not skepticism and vigilance are the same habit or two different habits. Um, and, you know, so I, I think of vigilance as kind of an applied skepticism, right? So you, you can't be, you know, I, I think that we, we have this expectation in cybersecurity that we will be, you know, you know, I mean, I, and I think this, the, the term security awareness implies like, you know, we're enlightened and we're, you know, you know, uh, meditating and floating on air and we're aware of all the things, the, the things all at once. Um, and actually the, the way we work and, and, you know, again, I think people are getting the point that. Uh, I've looked at a lot of psychology and neuroscience, you know, and, and I talk about that a lot in the book. Um, but you know, I, I think vigilance is a focused skepticism, right? You only have so much uh, focus or, or awareness to direct at a given task, um, and generally speaking, uh, you know, that that focus, uh, you know, if, if you don't focus, you kind of get lost in, in a lot of details. So that focus allows you to uh, to be successful at whatever. Uh, vigilant task you need to be, but it starts with the foundation of skepticism, and you focus it on you know the different areas that that you run across in in, in your life. Absolutely, and and to me, vigilance, by the way, attention to detail, to me that that stuff is just to me they come together, right? My hmm. skepticism gets me to pay attention to detail. It it gets me to be a little bit more aware. Um, it also keeps me smiling. Believe it or not, your keep your friend upside down piece 
Um, um, and you talk about the movie The Pursuit of Happiness. It's one of you know my all-time favorite movies mm. um, in, in the book. Is is you keep your front upside down. So as you're looking, as my skepticism is there, I'm smiling. And people always like look at me weird. Like especially since I've been working from home, my wife will come downstairs and she'll be like, "What are you smiling about?" And I'm like, "I think I found something. I think I found something." Yeah. Yeah. Right? Um, and so, and so uh, to me, they come together and I know you have them two separate ones and, and that's the beauty of the book. Um, you really do highlight it and you're able to interpret it, um, any way you really want to go down, down that route. I mean, you talk a lot about the socks in there and you talk a lot about the different, uh, different things that go on in different APTs. But, but at the end of the day, vigilance is not only knowing your enemy, it's also understanding goes back to number one to your literacy right yeah, yeah. understand what you've got so that way when you're when you're skeptical about something you've got the vigilance to pay attention to it which then takes into secrecy yeah so uh so secrecy is is is, is I, I don't know I, i've kind of defined it as the dividing line between you know that which should be public and that which should be private right um and yeah you know we we I think instinctively, so I, I give this talk at, at, at conferences from time to time, um, and I, I'll ask the crowd, like, okay, I, you know, so if you're listening to the podcast at home, you know, follow along, right? Um, so, you know, I want you to, to, to turn to the next person next to you. If you're not sitting next to someone, you know, I, I want you to, to, to blog it or put it on LinkedIn, but I want you to tell them your deepest, darkest, most intimate, embarrassing secret. And, you know, Obviously, nobody in, in you know in the the conferences will will actually do that, and it gets a big laugh. Um, but the the takeaway there is when I said, "Hey, you know, tell someone your most deepest, darkest, in, most intimate secret," it took zero time for you to know what that was, whatever it was, right? You you knew instantly, and because it's personal, right? You you know, right? And and so that that's that's easy. Where it gets difficult is is in, we're in these weird corporations or companies that uh, you know we don't necessarily have that same personal connection uh, to, to 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 whatever the secrets are, and I, I think it's it, it's kind of our job as security people to help them make that more personal, right? Because when it's when something's more personal, and they've done research in a lot of different ways, whether hospitals or, or, or you know uh, in national parks or whatever. Um, when something's personal to you, you you take it more seriously and you're more effective at it, at protecting it uh, than if it were just random data that you don't care about. Um, that's 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 I think the secret of secrecy. Uh, I like the idea of secrecy. You, you do tell the story of Apple and Steve Jobs, and as a person who's surrounded by Apple products um, and embedded with Microsoft software. <sighs> yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I enjoyed reading that part of the book. There's, there's a great. It actually comes from Steve Jobs's biography, but there's this great story. I mean, the, the, I mean, people forget that Steve Jobs and Bill Gates were partners at one point, and uh, you know, so when when Jobs, you know, you know, I, they they had you know uh, software code delays, right? They they weren't able to release their their you know operating system on time, and Gates was one of their contractors, and Gates was like. Okay, cool. I'll sign your your non compete for a year. Um, so they 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 signed that agreement, and of course, with Apple's delays, you know, Bill Gates had the opportunity to release his OS first, and he did. And so there, there's this great meeting between the two of them, and you know, you know, 
Steve Jobs is like, Bill, you, you, you know, you, you stole this from me. You stole it out from, what are you doing? And Bill's like, dude, uh, you know, we, we both broke into the same house at, at Xerox and we both stole their, the, you know, the, you know, their, their TV. I, I just, you know, I just got there first. Um, you know, so it's, it's this fascinating, you know, kind of, well, whose secret is it at what time? And sometimes we manage it with, with contracts. Sometimes we, you know, manage it with copyright or, or, or patents or whatever. Um, you know, so the controls, I think, are, are all variable, right? We, we, we choose how to protect our secrets, whatever they are, um, you know, the, the, the folks at, at uh, you know, KFC have, have their, you know, 21 herbs and spices, um, you know, oh my gosh, if, if that ever leaked out, what, what would happen to us? Um, but, but that, you know, th- we, we all have, have that that we're trying to protect. And I think we know instinctively um, the, the things that we care about and, and we, we do a good job protecting them. You know, secrecy takes us to, to culture. And culture is a really big thing, right? I mean, we, we talk a lot about data classification. I think COVID-19 highlighted company culture. I had a great conversation with uh, Eric Crone. He's a, a security evangelist. Yeah, yeah, I know Eric. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And th- this podcast goes live on Friday. So for those listening, go sign up to the CyberHub podcast. Sorry, cheap little like thing. Um, go sign up to our CyberHub podcast. Listen to the conversation with Eric. We talk about deep fakes, but we also talked about the culture at Know Before. And he was talking about how every morning at 9 a.m., no matter what, Stu gets on the line. Everyone gets on a call at 9 a.m. Eastern, and Stu tells his employees everything that's going on in the company. Open book. Hmm. Every yeah. morning, every single day, even during COVID. Right on. Right on. Right you know, on. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I think as, as CISOs were often asked to, to create this security culture as though that's something that we can create in a vacuum. Um, and it turns out that that's, that's a crazy idea. Um, you know, I mean, it, you know, culture is something that, that, you know, lots of people come together uh, to, to create. Um, and, and so if, if your leadership isn't behind it, if, you know, if it's not, you know, top down and bottom up grassroots, you're, you're, you're going to have some challenges. Um, and so, so one of the things I did for the book, I, you know, I, I wanted to do some research to kind of like back up some of these weird, you know, findings that I, that I was putting did. forth. And I did. And so, so the culture one is, I think, one of my favorite concepts. But there's this leadership saying, you know, it's it's uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Right. Um, it's a famous it's a famous Peter Drucker quote. And uh, you know, so you know, the idea is, you know, these executives come into companies, they make a lot of money, and you know, that th- they want to come in and you know, and put this new strategy forward that's going to change and revolutionize the world. And as it turns out, um, all of them fail. And they fail because they're, th- those same executives don't take into account the culture of the organization and whether the culture uh, will, will tightly integrate with that strategy. Uh, and, you know, you know, they don't look at the, you know, they don't have empathy for the employees to understand what they're going through to, to put themselves in their shoes or to let those employees bring good ideas forward. Um, so, so I thought, okay, well, you know, probably culture eats cybersecurity for breakfast too. How would I test that? Um, so I looked at all the companies that were breached uh, in 2018, uh, and then I cross-referenced that data with the culture ratings on Glassdoor. Uh, so if you're not familiar with Glassdoor, you, you, you can rate your, your current or former employer uh, uh, by one to five stars, right? And as it turns out, um, you know, if, if a company uh, has a lower than average Glassdoor rating, uh, you're three times more likely to have been the victim of a data breach. Um, and, and so... This is amazing to me. Maybe maybe it's a dumb moment, you know, in, in some ways. But 
you know, it, it's amazing because it, it's it's across every industry. Um, it doesn't matter the size of the company. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, what what technology the company used. If there's a predictor out there that's that's three x that that makes a difference. Um, that that that's that's huge in terms of cybersecurity and. All those same culture scores also translate into higher productivity, higher, uh, uh, you know, earnings, uh, you know, better revenue, um, and you know. So I, I think it just reinforces that that culture is a leadership issue, and you know, I, I think cybersecurity is a leadership issue. Um, but you know, it, it really has to, to to be something that everyone at the company embraces and values. And and you know, I mean, uh, you know, company wide meetings are are. are just one way of, of, of creating and influencing culture. But yeah, it, it, there, there's, there's so many things you can do to, to make a difference. A ton of them. When we look at, you know, and, and kind of, uh, we're, we're almost out of time, so we're going to have to skip a few chapters. So for those people who are, who are listening, you're going to have to get the book. The link is below in the description box. You can go pre-order the book now for well aware, master the nine cybersecurity habits to protect your future. Um, and, um, we're get, we're going to skip over a few of these, so you guys are going to have to get the book to read them, okay? Um, I'm not making any commission by doing this, folks. I'm just trying to be respectful of everyone's time, because <laughs> I'll probably get that tweet at some point or another. Like, why didn't you go over everything? Well, <laughs> because we don't want to give away the whole book. We do we do want you to get it and support Jordan's well, hard I'll, work. In the I'll, book. I'll I'll have two notes. At, so the first the first is. Um, I've personally made a commitment to donate half the, the royalties I get from the book to support COVID-19 related charities. So homeless shelters or food banks. Um, and, you know, I, I think, again, as cybersecurity practitioners, as leaders, this is our calling, right? Th- this is our time to, to make a difference. Um, and the, the, the second thing I'll say is I'm going to start a masterclass uh, for anyone who's bought a copy of the book uh, in October um, so it'll be a 10-week course, you know, the nine habits plus an intro chapter on, on, on habits in general. Uh, but, you know, again, uh, I, I want people to engage. And if, you know, if you, if you really wanted to get into the, uh, the, 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 the diligence chapter or mirroring, um, it, we'll, we'll have a deep dive on those uh, on, on the masterclass. So you talk a little bit. I, I want to go to deception real quick because, you know, I, I promise people, like, we're, we're going to take five minutes to talk about deceptions, folks, so stick with us. So you talk about deception, and, and you said something like this. I'm, I'm quoting the book here. Okay. As security okay. practitioners, we need our users to trust us. Ultimately, using deception should create more trust in the business, not less. A very, very interesting um, um, outlook. And, and the context of it is, you know, when you're sending a fake email, um, letting people, you know, letting him know, hey, we're going to start a campaign to test you. And, and you consider phishing as deception. And a lot of people wouldn't consider phishing as deception. Phishing is training. Right? So I, I think the users feel like they're being deceived. Um, and you know, so, you know, if you're on the receiving end of deception, you're, 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 you're in deception. Um, I, and, and I understand, you know, traditionally from a security practitioner point of view, that's not a that's not a deception technique, uh, but you know, I think you know when when you're talking with business uh, executives, when you're talking about implementing a deception program, um, you know th- there is that reticency to reticence red, red, um, to, to 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 avoid deception, right? We we want to build trust. We we don't want to uh, you know feel like we're tricking people. And I, and you know whether it's the Trojan horse 
whether it's you know i mean if, if you if you're a study of the the civil war the the, the quaker gun affair um you know there, there you know deception is a, a is a tactic that's been used for thousands of years so you know while i think you need to to play fair uh when especially when you're dealing with you know your employees or people um you you i mean I, we could certainly do things that uh, would come across as as being perceived very negatively, and I think that's that's the the, the point is we don't want to burn our bridges that we built with all the other habits uh, when, when when implementing deception. So, so one would argue that cybersecurity is based on deception. I send you an email as a cyber criminal. I'm deceiving you to open a link. I'm deceiving you to enter your credentials. Once I'm in your network, I'm trying to deceptively deceive your AV your sensors, your security uh, uh, programs in place, your defensive uh, programs in place to move laterally within the network to export data. To me, cybersecurity is all about deception. And in, in that aspect, right, Tony would love to hear this, I'm sure. But, you know, what, what, would, what I say is someone's getting deceived every single day every minute of every single day in cyber either a cyber criminal is being deceptive because he fell into a honeypot he fell into somewhere where they've trapped him and now he thinks he's getting a trove of data but really all he's getting is a bunch of xyz's with 555 phone numbers right um or he's getting data that isn't even relevant at that point just data that you can throw away um or the company's falling to uh, the deceptive nature of a cyber criminal who's attempting to defraud the company either of data, money, resources, or whatnot. But cybersecurity is purely deception. And it's deception not in the realm of I'm opening a company and you're buying stuff from me deception, but rather it's the deception where it's the invisible enemy. It's the whole idea of, Mm. of just staying away from people right and 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 you know not even stepping foot in a business but being able to deceive them out of out of money or data that's rightfully theirs well and and in a way one of the reasons i i I felt you know that including a chapter on deception is so important is because you know in a way you know we we need to take the gloves off uh from from the defenders to be able to employ deception back at our adversaries um and if we're not doing that um, we we really won't have a complete security program, um, and and you know I, I talk about uh, uh, Umesh in, in in the story, um, Umesh Ram, um, and he uh, uh, you know he talks about his his implementation of deception technologies. Um, you know we we all kind of I think have struggled with uh, you know finding the needle in the haystack with our SIMs or with our MSPs MSSPs or, or what have you, um, and and I think. You know, deception has the, the 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 exciting, I think, potential uh, to 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 really have the needles come to us in a way, right? So if we can filter through that noise uh, with deception to to find the real bad actors, and oh, well, okay, well, well, we'll maybe go back and and take those IPs that we see in our deception tools and look if and see if they've been anywhere else, right? So we we still need those other tools to be in place, uh, but if if you know if we have a better source of of real uh, you know, uh, malicious activity, uh, de- deception, I think, can get us there, right? And whether you implement that with technology or whether you, 
you know, have a, a you know a digital watermark or footprint or, or you know all the other you know breadcrumbs or what what have you that 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 you can do with deception, or even if it's just a you know as simple as a a, a process to to validate identity or something, um, all of those things you know are are so much more powerful in a way uh, in in defenders' hands than than uh, you know if, again we don't we don't want to handcuff ourselves by by not doing deception. Uh, I think we have to work it into our our, our daily habits. I, I completely agree. So we're at the favorite part of the show, folks. We've picked jo- George's brain on everything on this book, excluding the chapters on diligence, community, and mirroring, which you're going to have to order the book to get, which you can do in the link below. I am, I'll tell you something. I've read a lot of books, and I've had several authors on the podcast. Um, and I've been outraged. Um but by well, the devil, um, the devil in the Beltway by by Michael, um, was a book that outraged me simply because of the overreach of the FTC. Mm. And when he was finally mm. vindicated uh, a year and a half ago, I was mm. ecstatic for Mike. Mm. Um, and and Graham's book on the uh, Equifax breach mm. um, outraged me as well because you know you're you're you're, you're seeing systematic organizational failures. And institutional failures, yeah, yeah, um, take good people out, yeah. And and your book was very uplifting um, in the aspect that I really enjoyed reading it because it was just spot on. It was it was practical. It's not written in a too technical like. If you're a CISO, buy this book, give it to whoever you report to, and be like, hey, read this because it's it's a great little segue to, to kind of help the people who may not live in the cyber realm, get an idea of the habits that you need in order to be successful in the cyber realm. Well, and, and I mean, again, I, I had an argument with a CISO last year, uh, at, at, for a fortune 50 company. Um, and, you know, he said multiple times he's, he's a cynic. Um, and, you know, you know, I mean, and, you know, I, I understand that, that, you know, that is a mindset. Um, but if, if you're in a career in cybersecurity and you, you, you think that you're cynical, right? What are you, what are you really saying? You're, you're saying that, you know, uh, well, nothing I do matters. Right. Uh, and that, that's a horrible thing to do if you're a security practitioner. If you really think you're just, you know, sticking your finger in a dam that's going to that, that's gonna overwhelm you, um, that, that, you know, we're, what are we doing? Like, why are we in this job? I think you have to be optimistic to be in cybersecurity today. I think... And, and that's that's powerful. We can make a difference, um, and that, that message that that you know working together, you know, we all can 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 change things. Um, I think I think that's powerful. I, I, well, and we've seen it. Our yeah. community does come together. The CTI League, Ohad Zeidenberg's group, uh, during COVID nineteen, that was helping healthcare facilities and hospitals yeah. deal with cyber criminals who were trying to take advantage of a global health pandemic, is uh, a great example of. A multinational force of cybersecurity practitioners coming together to help each other, um, irregardless, and cooperate with law enforcement and different governments and so forth. Uh, you know, shout out to OHAD and the CTI League because they, they really did do a great job. Definitely. So let's go into our CISO Insight Round. It's that time, folks. It's the fire round of the show. We put you on the hot seat. We ask you the toughest questions one can ask a cybersecurity practitioner, like one buzzword you'd want to bury in our buzzword graveyard. 
you know, I, I really hate the, the, the term disruptive. Um, and, you know, I, I think everything in cybersecurity is disruptive in a way. Um, and, you know, that, so obviously every product has to have the word disruptive in it. Um, and, you know, I, putting on my skepticism hat, right, is, is it really disruptive? Um, yeah, I, or, I hate or that. Is it just picking up with the times? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Eh. Well, disruptive, it's the first time that disruptive is in our graveyard. We're going to have to dig a new six foot grave <laughs> and bury disruptive there. That tombstone will be ready in 10 days, folks. Come back and see it on our Instagram page or Facebook page as we prepare the tombstone for disruptive, a first on the show. One technology that will change the way we do cybersecurity. Um, you know, you, you talked about it, but I, I am a big believer in deception. Um, and, I, you know, again, I think it, there, there are a lot of reasons why I think it's, it, it's, it's going to be disruptive. Uh, sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> you brought it back. You resurrected <laughs> the word. Uh, you know, um, it's, it's not dead yet. We're, you know, it's still, uh, it's, it's a little warm. The body's still in the morgue. Uh, yeah. Uh, I haven't done the autopsy yet, folks. It's, it's, it's a zombie buzzword at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, again, I, I think deception doesn't have to be expensive, right? I mean, every vendor that I talk to today, um, you know, I mean, just to have a conversation, it seems like, okay, this is going to be a six figure deal. Um, I, I think you can do, uh, you know, uh, uh, some sort of, you know, you know small implementation of, of, of deception. I think you get great alerts. It's a, it's, it's a blind spot that, you know, you, you don't have another way to see. I, I, I like deception as, as, a, as, as something that's, that's going to continue to, to grow and change. And, um, Folks, that is also a first. So you've got two firsts here. All right. Win. Last book winner, winner. Read. What's the last book you've read? Uh, so I just finished yesterday a, a fiction book. I don't, I don't know if you didn't say nonfiction, but uh, um, so think, think of space necromancers, right? You know, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Probably uh, uh, Chronicles of Riddick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so there, there's this book uh, by Tamsin Weir or Muir. Uh, it's called the Lock Tomb Trilogy. So book two just came out last week uh, and I finished it, you know, in, in just a couple of days. Uh, but it's called Harrow the Ninth. So Harrow is the uh, the, the, the 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 galactic uh, world famous necromancer. Um, oh my gosh, it's 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 such a such a fun romp. Um, you know, not uh, you know, I mean, again, like goth, like you know, necromancers, you know, with uh, weird stuff going on. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. The Lock Tomb trilogy, Kenzen Muir Muir. Awesome. Last movie you saw. Um, so I've, I've had a hard time lately watching movies, but I did sit down a couple of weeks ago and I watched, uh, the original, uh, Dune, um, okay. such, such a great movie. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, I had this weird thought in my head that, uh, I wanted to, to, to take all of the scenes with Patrick Stewart and I'm a Trekkie, right? So I wanted to take all the scenes with Patrick Stewart and redo, uh, his uh, uh, one of the most famous Star, Star Trek's Next Generation episodes, uh, Inner Light, where he like has this whole flashback and he has his lives full of life. But instead of that other life, I wanted it to be his life from Dune. <laughs> so of course I have to rewatch. Your favorite music? Um, man, I, I have such eclectic tastes. Uh, uh, you know everything from you know rockabilly to uh, to you know uh, gangster rap. 
but uh, honestly, my my favorite uh, music, my favorite musician is, is Dave Brubeck. His Take Five album uh, uh, was uh, radical. I think it spent you know it came out in the late fifties. Uh, but I mean, oh my gosh, the jazz was just mind blowing. Um, I got a haircut this morning. My barber knows to turn off all ESPN all news when I come into the barbershop and he puts on 50s or 60s jazz music or or you know uh, and that's about it because otherwise I just I'm like I can't do this I can't sit here too distracting you'll move your head and get the, get the no the I, I just get too outraged I've lost I've lost faith in humanity <laughs> okay well so so jazz is our common uh, uh, refuge that's, jazz that's, is our common cool. refuge yeah, yeah. jazz yeah. had no you know, jazz was just music. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It, it, it was just good music. One thing you took away from the COVID nineteen crisis? Um, man, uh, the, the, I, 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 I really, again, I think I've been so, uh, you know, amazed to see uh, the culture of our organization at SMU. Uh, kind of, you know, I mean, we, we I think we have a good culture, um, and I've thought a lot about cybersecurity culture, but you know, seeing, you know how cybersecurity culture and, and organizational culture dovetail in that, in that way. And um, some of the, the, the cool things that, I mean, there's so many cool stories about uh, SMU and, and what we've done. Our, our you know, uh, uh, you know, our quarterback for our team, you know, worked, worked to fundraise for people we made uh, in our engineering lab. We 3D printed, you know, face masks for hospitals and, and other frontline workers. I mean, it's so, so, such a cool story. I mean, there, there's so many great things that, uh, you know, the community really did rally together uh, to, to, to help. And, you know, there, well, again, we focus on, you know, a lot of the negatives of, uh, around it, but uh, seeing the people coming together that want to make a difference, um, you know, from students to faculty or staff, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it kind of pulls at the heartstrings. Uh, I mean, it really, people want to, want to be safe. And I think, again, you know, I, I have the saying in, uh, that security is in your DNA. Um, we come together for mutual protection. Um, that not necessarily that we like each other uh, or we don't get in on, on each other's nerves, uh, but that's 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 how we evolved as a species. Security is in your DNA, um, and you know, and together we can we can make a huge difference. Absolutely, George. I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show and gracing us with your presence today. It was absolutely awesome to have you on, folks. The book is well aware. Master the nine cybersecurity habits to protect your future. You can pre-order it now. Comes out in October. That's only a few months away, folks. It's only a few months away. And trust me, come October, November, you're gonna want to read books. You don't want to watch TV or be online. You won't want to. It's bad enough right now when we're not even 90 days. We're like under 90 days out. Like it's only gonna get downhill from here, folks. So just read a book. So get George's book. Get any book. Be literate. You know, first habit, literacy. It reads something. I guarantee it'll be better than anything else you get online. That I promise. Or listen to a podcast like ours and make sure you subscribe and give us five stars and let us know and nominate a CISA you want us to speak with. That's how we got to George. People told us, hey, you got to check out George. And so we did. And so, you know, make sure you do that as well. That's it for us here this week on CISO Talk. We'll be back with so much more with another great interview next week. I've got a friend who we were supposed to record stuff on during rsa and then obviously we all know what happened around rsa time there was a, a virus that came out of somewhere in the world china and it kind of destroyed rsa 
and it's destroyed everything ever since. It's been rampant. It's been horrible. It's been disgusting. We have to wear masks to go to Publix and Whole Foods and a restaurant. Like, I don't think there's been a Hollywood... Even the worst apocalyptic Hollywood movie didn't have people wearing masks. Because I don't think anyone wanted to see, like, Tom Cruise wearing a mask on screen. Yeah, that's true. Nobody wants to see Tom Cruise wearing a mask. Right. We, we got to see his, his pretty face. You got to see his face, right? I mean, you know, Tom Cruise, whoever, whatever actress, you know, whatever. You know, no one wants to see the actors with masks on their face. And yet, here we are. That's it for us here again, folks, this week. Make sure you subscribe. Give us five stars. Until next week, we'll be back. Until then, folks, stay cyber safe.